examples I want to bring out in that perspective is how God is really moving with the worship ministry. Specifically with the volunteers. God has really provided so many people who want to serve him. And he is building disciples and he is doing that by his grace and his glory. So I'm so thankful for that. And then on another level, number two, I'm very thankful for how God is moving the sound and technique. Again, God has provided volunteers when we thought, we're kind of not looking so great, but God always comes through, and so I'm very thankful for that. He has, then with the sound system, he has made connections so much more smoothly, and he really has answered prayers. Those are the big things I'm thinking about. Where's our video? Everything that we do, everything that we say, and something that we can encourage one another in. 
So, so I, I think we so have so much to be thankful for. So on, so on this Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving thankful for you, your church, and thankful for Christ. Christ. So grace, so grace and peace. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Good morning, Common Ground. It's so good to be worshiping with you this morning. And I'd like to start us off by preparing our hearts for worship. So I'd like you guys to go ahead and close your eyes with me. And I want you guys to reflect on what God has been doing this past week. And I want you to pick one thing that you're going to praise God for this morning. For me, I'm going to be praising God for just his wonderful creation and just the amazing beauty I got to see this past week as I um, saw his wonderful creation at uh, Arches National Park. Just take a second and focus on that one thing, whatever it may be. And I want you to say out loud, God, I will praise you. Go ahead, you guys can say God, we declare to you with our voice that we're going to praise everything that we have, everything that we've taken with us this week, we're going to lay it at your feet. It's from this declaration that we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
praise you, Son, Holy Spirit, we exalt you. And Father, you know in our hearts what we're praising you for this morning. We are going to sing everything that we have, every moment, especially this moment, every single day. We will cry out to you in the morning and at night. We want our bodies to be a reflection and worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. you can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Evan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the lead pastor here, and it is great to see you guys this morning. As I know, everyone is trickling in from their holiday travel and from celebrating Thanksgiving abroad with family or all around with family. I know I was going to tease uh, Joey and Lindsay for including me in a group text yesterday asking to be picked up at the airport at 11 o'clock. I was like, well, you know, I kind of do have to work, but Kat, thanks for picking them up. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> good, making sure, because I won't be. I'll be here. <laughs> but anyway, good to see you all. Happy Thanksgiving. Glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. We just have a few announcements to go through. And the first one is that coming up next Sunday, actually, uh, next Sunday, December 5th, we're going to have a baptism celebration potluck. Uh, Jacob Schlinkert, uh, one of our beloved family members here, is making the proclamation of faith to be baptized. And he must want to follow Jesus so badly that he's willing to be baptized outdoors in December. And so we are going to haul out the horse trough, put it in the parking lot, and fill it with what we, we have a plan to heat the water. And it might be boiling like a hot tub. Um, or it might just be freezing cold and he's just going to have to deal with it. But either way, uh, we just want to celebrate uh, Jacob's decision to be baptized. And so we're going to have a potluck um, after church next Sunday. We will supply the burgers. So we will do cheeseburgers for you. If you guys can bring sides and drinks and all the other things that we need to put together a baptism celebration meal, please bring that next Sunday after church as we celebrate um, with Jacob and this declaration of faith that he's making. Also coming up on December 11th, Saturday, December 11th at 6 p.m., is going to be our Common Ground Christmas Party. Um, and so at this Christmas party, the first thing that we're going to do is we are going to go caroling. I don't know if you've ever been Christmas caroling before. Uh, a bunch of my friends and I from our last church used to go. We went 10 years in a row where we would gather as many people as we could to sing Christmas carols poorly at people's front doors and just to spread the joy of Christ um, to people in our neighborhood. And so we're going to do that in our neighborhood here. Um, now that we have moved to this building, there are houses down the street, people unknowingly, unsuspecting that in a few weeks, uh, a church is going to gather on their front door and sing Christmas carols to them. And so join us for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll also have a white elephant gift exchange. And I don't know how you've done white elephant in the past if you try to you know, keep like a $10 limit or anything, but this is completely open rules for white elephant. So if you want to bring something that you just want to get rid of, or if you want to bring a brand new iPad, hey, that's up to you. Um, we're going to just have a white elephant gift exchange, so bring a gift there. We'll also have Christmas trivia and some games and crafts and some food and drink as well. So join us for the Common Ground Christmas party and be ready to carol. Also then, of course, what's upcoming is Christmas. And so on Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service in this room here at 5.30 p.m. Um, to celebrate Jesus coming as a baby 2,000 years ago and to really read that story together and to sing Christmas carols by candlelight in here together. And one of the fun things that we did last year is turn off all the lights 
and sing Silent Night with candles and no lights. And if you've ever been in this room without any lights on, I'll tell you, it's one of the darkest places I've ever seen in my life. So it's really cool. So we'll be able to join together and to sing Christmas carols and to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together, 5.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And that is all the big announcements that I have for you upcoming. Um, of course, continue to check in with the website, the events and updates page, where you can see other events like our Wednesday Bible study, our women's study in the morning, and then to get connected with Shower of Hope, um, the new shower trailer that Ted and a bunch of guys from church are working on to be able to provide showers to those in our community who don't have them. So follow our updates at commongroundcma.org or subscribe to our newsletter so that you can be aware of all that's going on in this place. Sound good? Awesome. Well, it's at this point that we are going to move into what we call awkward social interaction time here at Common Ground, where we're going to invite you to rise to your feet and to greet one another. And this morning, obviously, we have an easy thing to be able to discuss since you just had Thanksgiving. Why don't you just share what you did this last Thanksgiving with those around you? So would you go ahead and greet one another? <laughs>
And just a little bit of background. Um, so every week during the Advent series, we will be reading scriptures. Uh, and every scripture that we read will be in correspondence to a specific theme. And so today's theme is love. So on par with the candle of love for Advent, it's John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son.
So our granddaughter Tessa is improving day by day. Um, her big next step is being able to uh, have a gag reflex to be able to feed and keep her lungs clear. Um, they're going to put a feeding port in her tummy somewhere on Wednesday. So you pray for that surgery. Uh, so they can take the tube out of her throat and just kind of see, get a better idea of what she can and cannot do, you know, with eating and or coughing and whatnot. But uh, I want to build off of what Nick, Nick has said, because it's something that's really been going through my mind, and Mandy and I have talked about it, is no matter what, Tessa is perfect in God's eyes. Whether she is quote unquote normal, as we would you know call normal, doesn't matter. She is perfect and just the way God wants her to be. So for my daughter and son-in-law, I ask that they would have strength for today and hope for tomorrow. That's kind of what they really need. Okay, thank you, Tim. Yeah, I have no doubt in my mind that Tessa's already changing people. And that's what God does, is bring change in our lives through others. So what a gift she's already been. We're going to pray that she continues to be a life changer uh, here. How about the rest of you? Is there something you'd like to see God do in your life or in the life of others? Um, now's the time to share so that we can pray together with you. that our whole family, all our children and their families and the grandchildren were able to be together for the first time since I think we figured 2015. Uh, there was a few health scares that we weren't going to be able to do it, but we really thank the Lord for the, the sweet time together and cousins meeting each other for the first time and doing well together. and the calls and the encouragement while I was gone and also um, for the help of just things that I couldn't do because I was a long ways away. Um, I miss my family very much and I'm very glad to be back. Thank you guys very much. Welcome back, Jamie. It's so good to see you. I'm sure you're really thankful for all the strange memes that people say too. I'm also <laughs> thankful for your beard. It's looking real nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to for all the people who are 
celebrating Thanksgiving um, out of town. We were driving back, and I'm talking to Justin Gwynn this morning. They narrowly missed a deer last night on their drive back from Wyoming. And so they're taking it slow um, so that they don't actually hit a deer. But yeah, we're praying for all the people from Common Ground who are on their way back now. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come down before you now and uh, we do so humbly, um, but we also do so expectantly because you invite us to. Uh, you actually encourage us to draw near to you, towards your throne of grace, God, and we are so grateful for that grace that you give us, uh, first through Jesus Christ. And then blessing upon blessing in our lives. And Lord, help us to remember that these blessings that you bring to us are not just for our, our sakes alone, uh, but that you bless us that we might be a blessing to others uh, around us. So Lord, may we do that, and as we do that, may, may your name be known amongst the nations. Father, we bring our family before you today, and certain members of our family who have shared today. And we begin with Tim and Mandy. Pray for their little granddaughter, Tessa. Lord, we are so grateful for her and for her life. And uh, there are circumstances, Lord, that we might look at today as a problem. But Lord, help us to see that every problem is an opportunity for you to do what you're best at. And that's just show up in your mercy and your grace. So Lord, we pray that Tessa will be uh, an instrument in your hands to bring glory to yourself in some way. And we pray for her surgery this week, that God, you would guide those surgeons, give them the utmost of skill uh, to help her to grow, uh, to help her to strengthen, to help her to heal. And Lord, we pray for, um, for Erica and Justin. Uh, and babies are tougher than we often know sometimes, but as adults, we seem to get a little bit more fragile in our emotions and in our spirits. So I pray for them, God, that you would guard them and protect them. And thank you that they have such great parents like Tim and Mandy to come alongside them and help them in this time. I pray they know there's a whole church here standing with them as they face this. Lord, thank you for families being able to gather uh, again. And thank you for doing an amazing thing to bring Mark and Carol's family together after six years of not being able to celebrate a holiday with everybody there. So God, we just rejoice in that. And speaking of family, thank you for bringing Jamin back to us. Thank you for being with him uh, during his training and uh, his equipping there to enter into the service that you've called him to. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless him. Keep your hand upon him and Sarah and just enrich their lives uh, mightily with the grace of Christ. Lord, thank you for giving Winter and Creed an opportunity to go hang out with their grandparents for a while. And now to hear that uh, Dave and Carney are on their way to France uh, to go spend time with Brian and Laura. Gosh, we, we just pray, Lord, that you will make that trip uh, a wonderful thing for them. And that their time spent with Brian and Laura would just be a very, very deep and rich blessing to them. Uh, that they would come back from this trip with their hearts changed. Uh, because of what they're what they get to see you doing uh, in their kids' lives over there in France and in the lives of others. And Lord, as they're traveling, we think of others who are traveling, uh, especially of our family here at Common Ground that are returning now uh, from the holiday. Um, we pray, God, that you would give them mercies and that you would watch over them and help them to travel with care and uh, with wisdom. 
And Lord, you see us all here before you today, and you know our hearts. Lord, you know what we need most in our lives to be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to think on those things. Help us to think of what we might be lacking spiritually uh, in our lives. Um, not because you don't give, but you're ready to pour out abundantly. It's, it's because we've not asked. Uh, Lord, your word says we do not have because we do not ask. So, Lord, in this time of, of, of receiving, which the Christmas season really is, um, teach us, Lord, to ask for the big things, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the character of Christ. Lord, may we be a people who are so full and so overflowing with your grace and your mercies and your goodness that we can't help but pour it out onto the people around us. So Lord, we pray for our community today. We pray for the city that encircles this building. And we pray, God, that your name will be made known to this city, especially in this holiday season. And we pray that we would be your instruments to help that happen. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, church. We need a time of prayer. I think it sounds like you must have done a lot of yelling and screaming at the parade yesterday. That's why your voice is a little hoarse. <laughs> well, hey, Thanksgiving is in the rear view, and Christmas is less than a month away. You realize that? And so what that means is that today is the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of our new teaching series that we are calling Covenant, um, that we are going to spend the next few weeks uh, during the time of Advent in. Um, and as we go through this Advent season, um, we're going to look at how God kept his promises in Christmas, and that Christmas really is the result of God keeping his promise. Now, Advent, um, it's a tradition that we follow somewhat loosely. We try to do our best, but we don't hold to it too rigidly. Um, but I really like the value of the tradition of Advent. Now, Advent means arrival. And the idea is that in the Advent season, um, we are looking back and we are remembering Jesus' arrival in a manger as a baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And as we remember that first arrival, we're also looking forward to the day that Jesus promised to return. And we're recognizing that we currently live in between these two arrivals, in between these two advents. That currently where we're at in 2021 is after Jesus' first arrival as a baby, and before his second, when he returns to bring the kingdom of earth, or the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we live in this middle space. And in this middle space, really as we're hoping for that return of Christ, what we have to hold on to was the first arrival, the first advent. And it's actually that first arrival and God keeping his promise by sending Jesus as a baby that we hold to when we're looking forward to Jesus' second return. And so that's what we're going to be doing today, is we're going to be holding to the promise that God has made. Because the way that we know Jesus will return is because he made a covenant with us. He made a promise to us, the new covenant. And that's actually what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we're going to be looking at some of the covenants over the next few weeks and some of the promises that God made, some that were fulfilled in Jesus and some that we are still holding on to today so that we can hang on to God's promises, know who he is as God, and then hold on to hope.
for the future. And so today, um, we're going to be basically introducing this idea of covenants and this idea of covenant, which really runs cover to cover to the entire Bible. That this theme, this topic, this concept of covenants is actually one of the main overarching themes of the entire Bible. And I think it's critical to understand this idea of covenants when it comes to understanding the Bible, when it comes to understanding God, uh, when it comes to understanding ourselves and how we relate to God and how God relates to us. It's all actually wrapped up in this idea of covenants. And if we want to understand how God loves us, as we are in the first week of Advent talking about love, we can't think of God's love apart from this idea of covenants, because God expresses his love to us in the form and in the, the basically formation of covenants. But now, this word is it's kind of old-fashioned, right? We don't typically use covenant in sentences very often, unless we're some of those people, you might have friends who speak just a lot of Christianese, and they'll throw out words like covenant all the time. But typically, you don't hear the word covenant unless you're at like a Christian wedding or a religious wedding, right? That's kind of the only place you'll ever hear the word covenant, is at a Christian wedding or some kind of religious wedding. I don't know if you go to many Jewish or Muslim weddings, you'll hear it there. Um, but mostly, religious weddings is where you hear the word covenant. It's kind of old-fashioned, we don't talk about it much. Um, but we do know that our Bible is basically split in two, right? There's the New Testament and the Old Testament. And I don't know if you knew this, but the word testament is just another English synonym for the word covenant. So the Bible is really the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. And it's really important to understand this concept. It's something that we don't hear very often, but this permeates every single page of the scriptures. That understanding how God works, understanding how God relates to mankind, requires us to understand this idea of covenant. And so when we look at Christmas, I don't know if you've ever considered this before. Why did Jesus come as a baby on Christmas? Why did Jesus come as a baby on Christmas? Well, he came to institute a new covenant and to fulfill God's promise. It's essentially boiled down why Jesus came on Christmas to institute the new covenant. And as we talked about, okay, that's Jesus' first advent, now we're also looking forward to Jesus' second arrival. Well, what do we have to hold on to to know that he will return in the future? Okay, why do we have faith that the second arrival, the second advent will come? Well, because he is a God who keeps his covenants and keeps his promises. And this is who he is. And so what we're going to look at today is going to be a story from the Old Testament where we see this character of God. Where we're reminded of who God is and we're filled with hope and trust to trust that Jesus will return one day because of who he is. And so, first, we're going to look at this concept of covenants. Now, just to give you a bit of a textbook definition, I won't go too much into what exactly a covenant is and all the nitty-gritty details. That's what the podcast is for, so jump on that, and we are going to have some, uh, some in-depth, nerdy details there if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, but just a generic textbook definition of a covenant is this. A covenant is a formalized agreement between persons establishing the conditions of their relationship, okay? Super romantic when we're talking about love, right? We're talking about love, and we throw this on the screen, right? But when it comes to God's love for us, this is actually fundamental in the way that our relationship works. 
Because, you see, covenants were a really common thing um, in and around the Middle East, in the area where the Old Testament was taking place. Throughout the first five books of the Bible, um, there are examples of covenants all throughout. And there were examples of covenants between God and man. And there were also covenants made just between people for really ordinary things, like for the use of a well. And two different guys would go into a covenant relationship for the use of that well, or for trading sheep and trading timber. They basically came into a covenant, which was more like a trade agreement or like a really serious business deal. But covenants are really more important than just like a business deal or an agreement to buy something. Because covenants, if you look at that last word, require a relationship. It's not just, hey, I'll buy this if you buy that, or I'll give you this if you give me that. The idea of a covenant is you are partnering together to do something that you couldn't do alone, right? To achieve something that you couldn't do on your own, or to really seek the other's good. You're not just supplying this product, you're fulfilling a need, a really important need. And so covenants were more important than that. And as you see through the Bible, uh, one of the things that you'll notice in the Old Testament is just how many covenants God made with people. Because even though covenants were a really common thing in that day, and people were just making covenants with one another, who do you think the first person in the Bible was to make a covenant? Any ideas? God. Yeah, this is that the good Sunday school answer works here. It's God. It's Jesus. And so, <laughs> it's always a safe bet. You know. And so, here's just a little chart that shows us all the covenant relationships. It might be a little hard to see on your screen. But these are the main covenants that God made with people throughout the Bible. And what we see here is that God is a covenant-making God. Throughout human history, God has been making these covenants, making these deals, making these commitments to relationship with humans. And the reason that he does this is out of his love, out of his desire for relationship with humanity. That God is a covenant-making God to keep us in relationship to him. And it's only through these covenants, it's only through these agreements that we can have relationship with him. We can be committed with him, to him. And so it's out of love that God has made and kept all of these different covenants. Because you see, God's nature is loving. His nature is relational. He exists in a trinity. And then he made us to glorify him on the earth and through our relationships with him. And the first pages of the Bible show this, that God created mankind and was with them in the garden. And that we're invited into this relationship with him. But then, as the story progresses, it doesn't take long for us to see that humans broke the covenant, right? They failed. And if the Bible is just a story about God's covenants, essentially, you might wonder, well, why is it so long? Well, as you read through the Bible, you're going to see that as God made covenants, people broke the covenants. They didn't keep them. And then God was patient would institute new covenant or would continually pursue people and continually bring people back into relationship with him and they, he was continually patient with people who broke the covenants and it's the story that weaves through the entire bible of god keeping his end of the covenant even when other people don't and it's actually on christmas that this story then is really culminated it's when jesus came to be a person 
that this story is really fulfilled. Because if people were never keeping the covenant, if people were never keeping their end of the deal with God and all these covenants throughout history, Jesus came, Jesus is God, and he is fully man, and he came to be that one faithful person who would keep the covenant, who would keep that relational promise between God and man. And so Christmas really is a story about covenant. It's a story about God's commitment committed love in the form of covenant to mankind. And so what I want to do today is look at one of those covenants, one of the oldest ones. And what we're going to see is that this really old covenant is connected directly to the new covenant that Jesus instituted when he instituted the Lord's Supper that we're actually going to practice today um, because the last Sunday of the month is the Sunday that we here at Common Ground celebrate the Lord's Supper and Communion. And we're going to see that this old covenant that God made with Abraham is actually directly connected and fulfilled in Jesus. And so this covenant that we're going to look at, as you see, is going to be in Genesis 15. That's where we will be for today. Um, and it is called the Abrahamic Covenant. I know in that chart, the text was really tiny, so unless you brought your binoculars, you might not have seen that the Abrahamic Covenant was on that list. Um, but the Abrahamic Covenant was one of the oldest covenants that God made between man and and himself. Um, back in the day, there were a few others before. Um, there was the Edenic Covenant, the Adamic Covenant, and the Noahic Covenant. But really, when it gets to the Abrahamic Covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, or at this time, he was named Abram. So forgive me if I mix up those names. Same guy, change his name. It's really confusing. Um, but when God made this covenant with Abram, it's from this point on that really we can understand every other covenant. We can understand every other relationship that God forms with people, and we can truly understand the new covenant that Jesus instituted when he came to earth. And so this covenant is a big deal. It actually spans about a dozen chapters in the book of Genesis. So we've got some work to do. We're going to cover about ten chapters today. I'm kidding. Don't worry, we won't. I would love to, but you guys probably wouldn't like that. I was looking for signs of life. So we won't. We'll just be in Genesis chapter 15 today. We won't cover all of it. I'll give you just a bit of a summarized version of what led up to this and kind of the background so that we don't have to cover a dozen chapters. Um, but basically, in those dozen chapters of God making a covenant with Abram, Abram was living in Mesopotamia in modern-day Iraq, and God called him to move west to modern-day Israel and to leave his family, to leave his home, to leave everything behind in Mesopotamia, be set apart to move to this other place. And in doing that, it was a call to Abram to be obedient, um, to cut off his ties to his family and to the deities and the gods and the other religions in that area, and to go to this new place where he would be completely stripped of his identity and everything that he had in order to be set apart and to essentially be made into a new family and a new people. And so Abram, he leaves all this behind and God makes the promise, don't worry, you left all of your family there, but I will provide for you a new family. I will provide for you children and descendants who will actually become a huge family through which I will bless the world. And God promised that this would happen to him. And it's actually through that family that eventually, once we get to Christmas, it's in that family that Jesus was born into. And then right before the events in Genesis chapter 15 um, that we're going to look at, we see that 
Abram didn't actually leave his whole family behind. He actually brought his nephew Lot. Um, and if you're looking for some interesting, fun stories to read in the Bible, read about the life of Lot. This guy had an exciting life, to say the least. Um, lots happened to Lot. Um, and what happened right before this, in chapter 14, is that basically instead of living with Abram, where he was supposed to there, Lot decided he would live elsewhere, and accidentally moved into the wrong neighborhood where there was a civil war taking place. Whoops. And so Lot is now living in the middle of this civil war, gets kidnapped, all of his possessions and everything are taken, and Abram comes up with a plan to go rescue him back. And so Abram takes 318 soldiers and basically performs like a night raid and takes Lot back and takes all of his possessions back and saves him. Because of this, now Abram's kind of afraid because he just took back his nephew and all of his possessions from these people who were having a civil war, not probably the people that you want to be on the wrong side of. So Abram's a little afraid. Uh, God had made this promise to him years ago that he's going to have this family, he's going to have all these children, but he doesn't have any children yet. And now he just made all these guys mad at him um, by basically performing this night raid and taking his nephew back. So it's a scary situation. I would be afraid if that's what happened, if I made some city-state kings who were in the middle of the Civil War mad, I'd be a little afraid. And so worried about whether or not God's promise to give him children is still going to take place, we have Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Okay, so this promise that Abram and Sarah would have children, they would have a family, who would inherit all their things, and who would carry on the family lineage, uh, hadn't happened yet. He doesn't have children. But this promise was actually made to him a little over a decade ago. Now it's been a decade, he's waiting, and he's wondering, okay, God said, I am your shield, I am your very great reward, and Abram's thinking, uh, he's having a bit of doubt. He's saying, what, what reward do you have for me, God? Um, where are the kids that you promised me, basically? And then God responds, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offsprings be. And what that means is that there are a lot of them, right? There are going to be a lot of them. Pretty simple to see there. Um, but this is a promise that God is making to a man somewhere around 90 years old at this point. This man who's been waiting over a decade to receive this promise that he will have children is now almost 90. And he's doubting, and he's wondering if God's promise is actually going to take place. And God says, trust me, look at the stars. That's how many children you will have if you even can count them. And it's in the middle of this that, that God is encouraging him, that he's reminding him of this promise that he's, that he's given him. In this painful place of waiting, this is what God tells him. And then Abram's response um, is pretty amazing. I don't know what your response would be. I have an idea of how I would respond if I had been waiting for this long, over a decade, for the promise of God to take place, and then you're almost 90 years old, and nothing yet. I would be thinking, you know, it's too late. Um, but in verse 6, 
After God says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. So Abram just shows trust and faith in God in this moment, and it's credited to Abraham, to Abram, as righteousness. He trusts fully in God's promise, and God credits that trust as righteousness. Or if you were to take kind of the literal meaning of the word that we translate as righteousness, out of the Hebrew there, it's he's in right relationship with God. And so God declares that Abram, a human, regardless of what he's done here, regardless of sacrifices or some of the other things that people had to do there, but just simply by Abram's trust of God, God is counting on his righteousness. Sound familiar yet? Does it sound like it's moving its way to Jesus yet? Okay, we're starting to see it. So verse 7, it continues on. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. Okay, so the first promise is kids, and Abraham says, okay, I trust you. Second promise is that he's going to take possession of this land. And Abram says, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so apparently for Abram, uh, being like close to 90 and having kids, I trust you, God. Being successful and having possession of the land, that's too far. <laughs> Abram was really doubting at this point. So he's saying, God, how will I know? How can I trust you with this promise? This seems pretty big. This seems too far. And God says, so the Lord said to him, Bring a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Okay, now here's why it's really important to understand covenants. Um, because if we didn't understand covenants, then this story is about to get really, really weird. And it just got weird when he asked, God, how can I know that you were going to give me possession of this land? And God says, yeah, go get a cow. Good heaven. But this is covenant language. And as we're going to move into this next section, we're going to see it's going to get a little weirder. But if we understand covenants, then we can understand what's taking place here. And so he says, hey, go get these five different animals. Verse 10. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut them out. That's good. Save him some work. Uh, then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, pause there. So that's a lot of cutting. Uh, you thought carving your turkey for Thanksgiving was difficult. Okay, Abram just had to do an entire cow, a goat, and a ram. That's, that's a mess. Uh, Lena does a pretty good job of not getting a lot of turkey on the counter there, but uh, this is a lot more work, and it's essentially supposed to be messy. Um, I actually have an image here to show you what that would look like. I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. Please, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think you get the picture, right? He cut all these animals in half. Now, isn't this a beautiful Christmas story? First off, it's cute. I promise this has a direct connection to Christmas. It really does. Um, because what's happening here is what's called cutting a covenant, okay? Cutting a covenant. Now today, um, when you formalize something, when you formalize an agreement or some kind of important partnership, you get all your legal documents in place, and you, you know, you get Mark or you get an attorney um, to sit down with you and make sure that all your documents are in place, and you sign it, and in those documents, you would have some basically some stipulations and you would have some consequences if you didn't hold up your end of the deal. 
if you didn't fulfill your end of the covenant. You know, if you don't pay your rent, okay, well, you don't get to live here. Or if you don't hold up your end of the deal, then you might pay a fine or something, some privilege might be revoked. There would be consequences. And in Abram's day, um, this is basically what they were doing. They symbolized these consequences with animals here. And depending on how big or how serious the covenant is, you would get bigger and bigger animals. And so for a really simple, really small deal, a small covenant, you just take a bird and snip it, and you put the two halves of the bird right on either side of you, and then you basically you shake hands in between, and you make your deal. For a really super serious covenant, you basically, you go up to a bigger animal. And if it's even more serious than that, then you get a bigger animal. And eventually you get to a whole heifer to say that this is a big, serious, intense covenant. That it's like to fail in your end of this covenant would be severe. And basically God told Abram to get five different animals Five different sizes of animal. Basically, these are all the five different sizes of covenants that you can have. You kind of work your way up, depending on how serious it is. God says, get off on That is how serious this covenant is. And the idea is that on a really big covenant, if you're cutting the covenant, then you take the two halves of the animal, you on either side of the aisle, and then you would hold hands, and you would walk between the cut halves. You would essentially walk through this bloody aisle of the half of the cow, the half of the goat, the half of whatever, in order to make the covenant. And now today, in our marriage covenants, right, we still have an aisle, and we still walk down it. Um, they're usually decorated a little better than that. Um, and at ours, we had lavender and hydrangeas. Um, but where do you think we got this idea? We got this idea from a cow on either side walking through it. <laughs> And the idea is that as you're walking through this aisle holding hands, this mess and these animals are symbolically saying, if I don't hold to my end of the covenant, may I be as dead as these animals? If I don't hold to my end, then the consequences for me are what happened to these animals. If I don't hold up my end of the contract. And the messiness and the bloodiness is intentional. This isn't just like the sacrifice, it's not to atone for anything. It's to explain the severity of this, how important and how big of a deal, how big of a contract this is. And so the idea is that God and Abram will walk down this aisle that has these halves of animals on either side. Because it's a serious covenant. But as we continue in verse 12, that's not what's going to happen. So as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet, been, has not yet reached its full measure. Okay, so there's a ton to talk about there. Um, but the basic story is this is a prophecy about the Exodus, and that Abram's descendants would, have been, would eventually become the Hebrew people who would be enslaved in Egypt. 
Um, but what also happened here is Abram fell asleep. He's passed out. And it doesn't say how that happened or what exactly happened. Um, but basically, God put Abram to sleep in this moment when they're supposed to walk down the aisle together. And then God speaks to Abram through a dream here. Verse 17. He spoke to him in that dream, and then it continues in verse 17 here. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And so, in this moment, when they've just made this big aisle, and they're supposed to walk through together, Abram was asleep. He, he didn't do it. And instead, God, who was imaged in the, this picture of a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, and in the Old Testament, God's presence or God's glory is typically symbolized in cloud of fire or a pillar of fire. And here, God has a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, walked through all on his own. Walked through all on his own. It doesn't really tell us um, what that means or what exactly happened. It's actually only on this side of Christmas and on this side of Jesus' new covenant that we can understand what exactly is happening here. And really, what this shows us in this really crazy, really weird story is the love of God. It really does. Because what's happening here is God walking through alone. Because God is making a covenant, a very serious covenant with Abram. But God knows that Abram can't keep up his end of the covenant. God knows Abram's descendants will not keep up their end of the covenant. That people, humans in general, are just not good to make covenants with. <laughs> that is the entire reason that this cutting of animals became a thing. This wasn't something that God just created in this moment. This is something that people had been doing for a while because they recognized that they were making covenants with other people. And those people weren't keeping them. And so they said, hey, well, we need to have some consequences to motivate people not to do this. And if you have ever gone into any kind of agreement or deal with anyone, you'll realize that, oh yeah, people aren't always that good at keeping covenants. And so here, when we look at the covenants that God makes with his people, and if we were to look at that chart that we looked at earlier and all the different covenants that God makes, none of them have been kept by people. Humans did not do a good job, did not keep to their end of the covenant in any of them. And God knows this. God knows that Abram and his descendants are going to fail. And so to protect Abram and his descendants and his family from the consequences of not holding up their end of the covenant, from the consequences of being as dead as those animals, God puts Abram to sleep and he goes through on his own. As if to say, if this covenant is not held, and if you don't hold up your end, I'm the only one responsible for that. I will take full responsibility for the consequences of even you not keeping your end of the covenant. I will save you from being dead like these animals. 
And so God went through on his own. And Abram wasn't even part of the equation here. He was passed out, asleep. God did all the work. God was making this point that his promises, that his covenants, are not based on mankind's ability to keep up their end of the world. Solely based on his ability to follow through. Solely based on his promises. Now, does this sound familiar yet? Okay, we're starting to see how this connects. We're starting to see the language that Jesus then used and the work that Jesus came to do in the new covenant, right? That Abram wasn't going to keep his end of the And so God did it alone. Went through alone. Now I find it kind of fascinating um, what the author of Hebrews says about whether or not Abram kept his part of the deal. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 6, um, it talks about this. Um, and it basically says that, you know, when God made a promise to Abraham, to Abraham um, that since there was no one greater uh, for him to swear by, God swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. It says Abraham waited patiently, or that he patiently endured. Here's a question. Do you think Abraham patiently endured? That's a tricky one, right? Because it's like, well, we can't argue with the Bible, what the author of Hebrews said. But, like, we, if we know anything about the story of Abraham, I guess he was patient, but at the same time, no, he was not patient. Because God promised, I will give you descendants, and I'm going to give you this whole family, and anyone who blesses you, I will bless, and anyone who curses you, I will curse. But when God gave him that promise, Abraham was 75 years old. And by the time he finally had his first child, he was 100 years old. So he had to wait 25 years. He had to wait patiently for 25 years for this to take place. And 25 is a long time. Um, it's especially long in that part of your life when you're watching the, you know, the biological clock tick and thinking there's no way this can happen. And so what happened during Abraham and Sarah's time of waiting patiently is, of course, they thought, well... We're getting a little old. It's looking like it's not going to happen, but that's okay because we can, we can make things happen on our own. And Sarah basically came up with this plan for Abraham to have a child with Hagar, their servant. And Abraham was just like, yeah, whatever. whatever. Okay, sounds good. And they did. And they kind of jumped ahead of God and didn't look very patient in that moment, did they? And so, in that moment, it's pretty clear that when they jumped ahead of God and made their own plan to have this son with Hagar, that it was a moment of failure. It was a moment of not waiting patiently. But they failed to wait patiently. But even though Abraham failed and he messed up, what we know is that God's promise didn't end. Right? That God's use of our messes and our sins don't break his covenant. That God is the one who basically going to do all the work anyway. He redeems our sins. And if you're a Christian following Jesus, then you know that the gift of the new covenant is that even though we have sinned and even though we have failed, that because of what Jesus did and because Jesus has kept his end and our end of the covenant, that it is counted to us as righteousness. That Jesus' righteousness is counted as our righteousness. Just by our faith and our trust in him. 
it's counted as righteousness. And so for Abraham here, did he patiently endure? Did he patiently wait? No. But he was still counted as faithful. He was still counted as righteous because of this covenant that he entered with God where God did all the work and his role was to trust. His role was faith. That God was the one who shouldered all the responsibility for the covenant. And God knew that when he entered into this covenant with Abraham. And Jesus knew that when it came time for the new covenant as well. You know, Jesus, after he turned the water to wine in the Gospel of John, um, it said that because of that, a lot of people believed in his name. It says in John chapter 2, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Right? Just like you would if some guy showed up and turned water into wine. It was great wine for him. But then it goes on, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So basically, if you were to take it literally, it says that people believed in Jesus because of this, but Jesus didn't believe in them. That Jesus knew that they were after the wine. They weren't after the sincere faith of following him. Jesus knew that these people didn't truly follow him. And, and Jesus knew that his own disciples would even betray him. Right? What did we just look at last week? We looked at the journey of Simon Peter, and we looked at how Peter betrayed Jesus and denied him three times. But yet Jesus still willingly went to the cross for him, right? And then Jesus came back and recreated his worst moment and to remind him that he's forgiven and he's restored. And he knew that Judas and his other disciples would fail him in these different ways, but nonetheless, Jesus kept his end of the covenant, even when people were going to fail. Even when people were going to fail him. Jesus came to earth to be the one human, the one person who would keep this covenant, who would keep faithful to God. God's love expressed in Christmas and expressed in Jesus' coming is expressed in the reality that God is committed and faithful to people, even when people are not. It's amazing. And if you also think about that image of the bloody animals, right? Okay, well, if God is the one who did all the work, and if God is the one who's faithful and people are not, well, someone has to shoulder the responsibility for failing this covenant. That if this covenant is not held up, well, someone has to take responsibility for that. Do you see that now in Jesus? That just as you would walk through this aisle and say, well, may I be as dead as those animals in this bloody mess, Jesus took that responsibility on himself. That even though mankind's sin and failure should result in a broken covenant, should result in this death, Jesus says, well, hey, I'm that, like, glowing, fiery firepot. I will take all the responsibility. And Jesus became as dead as those animals sent And so when it comes to this new covenant, now that we understand this idea of the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to read from Luke chapter 22 here, and you'll see this. You'll see the language Jesus was using. You'll see that Jesus was fulfilling this promise that God had made so long ago. That's in Luke chapter 22. Starting in verse 14. We will have the words on the screen here, but Luke 22, 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles were reclined at a table. 
And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took bread, and he broke it, put it on either side, broke it in half. He says, this is my body. This is a symbol that Jesus is giving his body over to the consequences of human failure, right? That his body will be broken, just like the heifer, just like the ram, just like the goat. My body broken for you. Continues in verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant. Here, there's that cup language. The new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then Jesus took the cup. He says, This the covenant of my blood poured out for you. That bloody aisle way, right? That Jesus sang. You know, I'm the role of that smoking fire pot. I'm the one who will walk down this bloody aisle for you. Because when Jesus is God, and he is man, and he's displaying that he's the only one going to do this work and shouldering that responsibility, and he's going to take the consequences on himself. And so when it comes to this covenant that God had made with man, Jesus was the only human who kept to it. Can't believe he missed it. I certainly have. But nonetheless, when Jesus came on Christmas as a baby to be fully man, this is what he came to do, to hold to God's covenant promises, and to offer his life as this loving gift that would sustain a committed relationship with mankind, even amidst failure, even amidst betrayal, even when we break our part of the covenant. This, this is, I think, the most beautiful act of love there can be, right? That true love is laying your life down for a friend. That true love is being loyal and faithful. And Jesus did that. This was the ultimate act. And he followed through with his part, and he should follow through with our part, um, which is pretty significant. And, yeah, this, this is the kind of sacrificial love that, you know, I honestly, I don't really express that often, and I don't really show that often, but nonetheless, even when we fail, we know that Jesus did it. We know that he kept his promise. And so, I don't know where you're at today, um, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe a little while, uh, maybe you're not quite sure about this Jesus thing yet, and if that is you, you're not quite sure about this Jesus thing yet, then you're probably here with friends who are thinking, I really wish the pastor didn't go to the bloody animals cut in half story um, while you're here. <laughs> um, but I think this is significant. I think that this is part of God's timing, because we all recognize the acts of committed, faithful, loyal love that, you know, we fail to keep. And we all recognize how we fail to come. And this is an opportunity to see that those failures, they don't stop us from being in a committed relationship with God. And that Jesus has offered not only to, to give us this new covenant by which we can live, be connected to Him, but He also is committed to actually empower us 
follow through. He's actually given us his spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to, to put in us a heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone. Actually empower us to keep this covenant. And so what we're going to do today is, is to celebrate the new covenant. Um, we have communion here. Two stations in the front and one in the back there. And what we're doing is we're celebrating this new covenant that Jesus has given us, that he's instituted. And so for those of us who follow Jesus as Lord, who accept this new covenant for us, you're invited to this day. And when you recognize just the severity and the importance that this covenant holds, that Jesus has said, my body is broken and on either side of the island, that this is a serious covenant. But you're welcome to come forward, and you're welcome to take it, because even your failure in this part of the covenant will not prevent you from being in a relationship with me. That I'm actually the one who did all the work. When Jesus allowed his body to be broken on the cross, and his blood poured out for us, he made a way for even us who fail the covenant to accept this relationship with God, and to be committed in a relationship with God, who's faithful and loyal and loving to us. And so, let's pray, and I'm going to invite you forward um, as we practice communion together. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Well, Father God, we just thank you. We just thank you for loving us in ways that we can never love you, in ways that we fail to love one another. God, as we look at your committed love, how you, you don't just promise us with, uh, with puppy love that you just hang on to, but you promise to be deeply committed to us. Um, that you have shown time and time again to be God who keeps your word. God who takes seriously your relationship with us. And God, we just come before you with a posture of thanks today. We just thank you for going through the aisle on our behalf knowing that we would fail, but shouldering the responsibility for our failure nonetheless. And so God, we just come before you and we celebrate this new covenant. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for us. Thank you that you have forgiven us, that you have shouldered the weight and the responsibility for our part here. And so we come before you just thankful for your love. We just ask that your love would pour into us and flow out of us into the world. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to come forward or to grab from the back there and then return to your seat and we will partake in communion together.
gehört hat und wie es meine Ampel. That he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So come here, church. Would you just know that the Father God is deeply committed to you and we can hold to that promise. So grace and peace. Have a wonderful day. Yeah.